Hi, I'm Joe Honeyhockey, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters. Today is yet another first, though I suppose if you want to be technical, I guess each episode is a first in some way, but I digress. Today I'm covering someone who holds the title of Servant of God. If you'll recall my episode on Blessed Takayama Yukon, I touch up on this terminology a bit. Well, to kind of further clarify what this means, Servant of God is the first title given to someone whose cause for sainthood is officially being investigated by the Catholic Church. This investigation begins at the diocesan level and must wait a minimum of five years after the individual's death before it can start. This is to ensure the individual's virtuous reputation endures. Though, if you'll recall with the case of St. John Paul II, a pope, which in his case was uh, Pope Benedict XVI, can waive the five-year waiting period. After this, the bishop of the individual's diocese can petition the Holy See. If permission is attained to continue, a tribunal is established which is a, a committee there in the diocese, to collect absolutely all information on the individual, all public writings and testimony, as well as everything privately expressed. Usually after a few years of this, the case is presented to the bishop, and he makes the decision whether to present the case to the Vatican, specifically the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints. From there, the documentation on the individual is reviewed, and a determination of heroic virtue is voted on, and then presented to the Holy Father. He can then make the final declaration whether the individual can be referred to as venerable. The case then remains until two miracles can be attributed to the individual, or at least two, at which time they then qualify to be canonized as a saint. So, with that bit of information out of the way, let's take a look at a woman who is in this process. In fact, her 10-year investigation is wrapping up, and the Archdiocese of Toronto will be sending her documentation to Rome this year. So, without further ado, may I introduce you to Sister Carmelina Tarantino of the Cross. Intro. As Sister Carmelina isn't a saint or a blessed, she doesn't have any official patronages or a feast day. So, let's just dive right into her story. February 7th, 1937. Our Carmelina was born in Livery, Italy, which is a town in Naples' metro area. She was actually born with the name Carmela, but was later given the nickname Carmelina to denote her young age, and then she kind of kept it uh, due to her frailty, and then... She actually took that name as her religious name. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You see, she was the eighth of 11 children. And as if the family wasn't Catholic enough just with that, the family, led by their parents Severio and Annunziata, would pray the rosary every night together, making sure that they'd pray an extra 100 Hail Marys with that during the month of August to honor the Assumption of Mary. With this, and the catechesis she received at her local parish, Carmelina was raised in the spirit of the faith. And on May 20th of 1945, when she was eight years old, 
she received her first communion. Interestingly enough, she wasn't confirmed until November of 1961, when she was 24. Well, anywho's, when she was younger, so rewinding back to around 10 years old, she first conveyed that she wanted to become a religious sister. But this was largely ignored, since apparently it was pretty common for kids at that age, at that time, to have that sentiment. Well, as you'll see, she held on to that dream, and she actually never really entertained the idea of marrying in the following years. In 1960, though, when she was 23 years old, she began to display signs of illness, uh, particularly mental illness. She started experiencing bouts of psychosis, sudden shifts in temperament, and was plagued with headaches. She ended up being treated with electroshock therapy twice, and while the mental illnesses seemingly dissipated, she would still be struck by sudden convulsions and other inconsistent symptoms of sickness, such that her doctors had no idea what was happening to her. Though several of her siblings had immigrated to Toronto, Canada in previous years, so as a last-ditch effort to find help from the more advanced medical practitioners there, she immigrated as well, arriving in Toronto on July 4th, of 1964. She lived with one of her sisters and her family while she visited doctor after doctor. However, they were equally as stumped as their Italian counterparts by her symptoms. It wasn't until 1968, after countless hospital visits and the removal of a cyst on her left leg that ended up refusing to heal, that a diagnosis was finally given. Carmelina had bone cancer, and in order to prevent the rest of her body from this disease, her left leg was amputated all the way up to her hip bone. Amidst this, and all the prior years of the pain and sickness, she united her suffering to the cross of Jesus, and she would continue to do so. Shortly after the amputation, after she'd been released from the hospital, Carmelina experienced the sensation known as the phantom limb wherein an amputee feels the sensation of their missing limb. This caused her to inadvertently put her weight on her missing left leg. The fall reopened the wound, and despite 20 subsequent surgeries, it never quite healed, resulting in her needing constant blood transfusions. To add to this, she developed Kaposi sarcoma, which is a type of cancer of the lining of the blood vessels that can cause tumors to form on the skin. Among several other complications, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But that's kind of the gist of what I got. And to top it all off, in 1969, a tumor was found on her left breast. Thankfully, they were able to immediately remove it. However... November of that year, she was only given months to live due to the mounting health complications. This was reinforced when she was allowed to leave the hospital to visit home there in Toronto, only to return on the verge of death. From that point, she never left Riverdale Hospital again. This was no issue to her spiritual life, though, as she was able to enjoy the Eucharist every day and five of her siblings that had lived there locally took turns visiting her every day. Well, soon she would hear of an organization called uh, Societa Unita, 
which means the United Society, which facilitated religious summer camps for the local youth, catering specially to Italian immigrants. It was founded by the Passionist priest Father Claudio Piccinini, and Carmelina, so struck with fascination by the group, contacted Father Claudio. He met her twice toward the end of 1973, but nothing exactly came of the meetings. It wasn't until three years later, on December 17th of 1976, after Father Claudio was suddenly struck with the memory of her, that he again visited. This time, a friendship was enkindled, and she confided in him of her past desire to have become a religious sister. He tells her that it's possible that she might be granted entry to the Secular Institute of the Passion, since they would consider those who are sick. In the meantime, he introduced her to the biographies of significant Passionist figures, such as St. Paul of the Cross, St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows, and St. Gemma Galgani, which you should totally check out my episode that I did on her, because she is pretty cool. Anyways... With Father Claudio's help, a petition was sent to the Congregation for Consecrated Life in order for a dispensation so that Carmelina could enter the Congregation of the Passionist Sisters of St. Paul of the Cross without the required postulate and novitiate requirements, as those would have required her to go to Rome, which she was, I mean, it was physically impossible for her to do that. The request was sent September 14th of 1977, and the Holy Father granted the dispensation on September 29th. The General Superior of the Order, Mother Adorda, and the General Vicar, Sister Maria Ferrerico, traveled from Rome to Toronto. And on November 26th, 1977, when she was 40 years old, Carmelina professes her vows before them to become the first Passionist Sister in North America, her spirit and joy is so abundant and infectious that in the following years, even from her hospital bed, she managed to inspire five young women to enter the Passionist postulate. April of 1981, three of these women returned to Toronto as Passionist sisters and formed the first of their community. The spiritual vigor of Sister Carmelina ends up seeing many people visiting her for guidance, the sisters of her community visit her every Friday, and her family keeps up their visits. Plus, Father Claudio regularly seeks her help regarding the Societa Unita, specifically in regards to a retreat location known as Teopoli. It was by Sister Carmelina's instruction that a huge wooden cross was erected there, which still stands today, because as she said, a cross is all that is needed, and then the rest will fall into place. When Father Claudio was transferred to the U.S., she took over a lot of the leadership responsibility in helping the directing board of the organization. She was frighteningly active despite all of her health problems that kept her bedridden for so many years. She ended up counseling so many people since they knew that she could understand the pain and suffering of their lives. In her biography, titled On the Cross with a Smile, Someone is quoted as saying that one would quickly lose interest in complaining when they saw what she had to endure and the happiness and love she shared in spite of it, since she herself never uttered a complaint. She was a beloved staple of the community. Well, she passed away on March 21st of 1992 
at the age of 55. She lived 23 years past the original prediction of only a few months. So awesome. Sister Carmelina was recommended to me by a listener named Adriano. He mentioned that he came to learn about Sister Carmelina a few years ago when he and his wife were in need of immediate care for their son and were directed to a preschool ran by the Passionist Sisters of St. Paul of the Cross. Well, it so happens that the preschool bears the name of Sister Carmelina. He said that afterward, he wanted to learn more about the woman the preschool was named for. Before this, he referred to himself as a Catholic by name, but not by practice. But through the example of Sister Carmelina, through the witness she gave through her life, she inspired him in his formation as a Catholic man. He has since taken the faith into his heart and made it his own through prayers and the sacraments, formation that he seeks to pass on to his children by being their example. This is an awesome story that goes to show how the lives of saints and people of virtue do affect the lives around us. There seems to be this prevailing relativistic idea that our lives are our own, and that we should be able to do whatever we want without anyone telling us no, because it's our life. That sounds great, but it's totally ridiculous. We're creatures of community. What I do affects you, and what you do affects me and your neighbor. Even things so small as saying hello to a passing stranger, or something bad like being snippy for a moment with a cashier who might not be going as fast as you'd like, or even just naming a preschool after a member of your religious order. These things potentially have far-reaching consequences that only God can truly see, which is why faith is so important. Living a life of virtue is so important because not only can it work to simply brighten a stranger's day, but it can open us up to being used profoundly by God to further his will, which is to say he'll use us to bring peace into the world. He might elect to use your life to bring somebody back in union with him. Heck, he might use your life for this purpose even after you're dead. This just hammers home that our lives are not our own. We live on the opposite end of the spectrum of that relativistic ideal that I mentioned before. Through means of virtue and grace of God, we offer our lives to Him. And in saying that, I just realized that we're so dependent on God that we can't even give our lives to Him without His help. So, I... <laughs> I guess let that sink in. So what virtue stood out to me about Sister Carmelina's life? Her suffering. Strange virtue, I know. But her virtue lies in how she suffered. In her biography, aptly titled On the Cross with a Smile, it constantly speaks of how she unified her sickness and suffering specifically with Christ's passion and suffering on Calvary. She answered that call to take up her cross, though she did not lament the weight, and she did not lament the pain. She was filled, rather, with joy. And I feel confident in saying she felt joy because of the pain her cross brought her. Why, though? Why is it that the suffering seems to bring the saints joy? 
Sister Carmelina helped me better understand this with the image of unifying one's suffering with Jesus's. At first glance, I considered this like carrying one's cross alongside Jesus as he journeyed to Calvary. But then I thought, no, 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 no. Because the cross of Jesus bore the sins of all mankind. Well, I am of mankind. And I'm pretty sure you are also of mankind. So to unify our cross with his is to stand with Jesus, just as Simon the Cyrenian did, and carry our weight of Jesus' cross. The joy comes from knowing that we're alleviating the suffering of our Lord, because in being with Jesus and carrying our weight of the cross, we're exercising sacrificial love. What we're saying here is, Lord, I do not wish to see you suffer. Forgive me for giving you this weight. Let me help you bear it. And, though in the grand scheme of things, God is the only one who can truly bear the weight, I can't help but feel that his sacred heart radiates whenever we feel such a love for him that we want to help him. Imagine for just a moment that you're perhaps moving some large piece of furniture around, like maybe pushing a couch. It might not be particularly difficult for you, but then imagine a three-year-old coming up and trying to help you push the item. You know that they're having no effect on moving the couch. You're still the one doing all the work. But just picture, then, that loving amusement you feel seeing such an innocent little soul trying to help you for no other reason than to be by your side and to help you in your task. That's, that's kind of how I'm imagining our situation when we're trying to help Jesus carry his cross. He's the parent, and we're the toddler. His joy at seeing us merely desire to be by his side cascades down to then become our joy. This is what I believe Sister Carmelina's life can teach us. And so as her case is being reviewed by the Vatican's Congregation for the Causes of the Saints, let us pray for her. And even more importantly, let's ask her to pray for us. That does it for this episode. I would highly encourage you to check out her biography, once again titled, On the Cross with a Smile. Remain faithful to the cross of Jesus, and one day someone might just tell your story. See you next time. Outro. And the general vicar, Sister Maria Ferre. Huh. After Fla. to have. In fact, John Bon Jovi even wrote a song, It's My Life. That's. that's stupid. Good song, though. Good song. There's some pretty cool North American figures, many of whom haven't become full-fledged saints yet. Next time, let's talk about another servant of God. A fella I happen to have some personal ties to. See ya.